Chapters 34 and 35 of Isaiah amazingly dovetails very well with Revelation 19 where I'm preaching tonight. We've been on a series uh, on prophecy pretty much from Isaiah and Revelation. I did not necessarily plan the sermon series this morning to kind of dovetail the way they are, but we're going to see some things about the future that fit very well. The context of Isaiah chapter 34 takes us to the moment before Jesus Christ returns to earth, before the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 34, we see the tail end of the great tribulation and what is known by theologians and those who study the word of God as the battle of Armageddon. Everything described there is about that battle of Armageddon. And yet during that passage of scripture, we also get a glimpse into the future. We see See eternity as viewed from the eyes of someone who spends eternity in hell. We go from there in chapter 35. We don't see the second coming that's already presumed Christ has come. And it gives us encouragement because we look at the battle of Armageddon where the nations gather to fight with God. And then we get to chapter 35 and we see the second coming has occurred. God's people have come back with Jesus. He's established his kingdom on earth. In chapter 35, we see a glimpse of the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, where Christ will rule his kingdom here on earth, and we will join with him, and then we get a glimpse of what heaven's all about. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's just very wonderful. We are living in a time of the unfolding of Bible prophecy, the social unrest, the turning of hearts away from God, disloyalty to parents, disloyalty to their nation, to the sovereignty of the nation, disloyalty to churches, all of those things. And where the Bible says perilous times shall come and we're living in those times, extreme violence, all of these things, everything going on in our world right now is a precursor. It is one step away from leading to the rapture, when Christ will come, he'll descend from heaven and there in the sky, we'll hear a trumpet and the voice of God, the voice of the archangel, ushering us up into heaven to be with him. And then will come a period on earth worse than ever before. It's the time of God's great wrath. It's called the great tribulation. The word tribulation is a, is a word in Latin. It has the idea of, of uh, basically something squeezed between two rocks. It talks about extreme pressure, extreme, an extreme situation where literally the life is squeezed out of you. It's a, it describes a very, very trying circumstance, a very hard time. And any trial that we could go through in this life, and there are trials we can go through that are pretty rough. Trials of cancer, trials of financial loss, trials of sorrow when someone passes away. I mean, when we go through those valleys, they're very, very difficult. But the tribulation time is described by the Bible is something unheard of, something unlike ever before. The Bible even describes the tribulation, there never will be a time such as it will be. Seven years of intense difficulty and tribulation, famines, natural disasters, global chaos, climate change, destruction, much death, over a third of the world's population will die after that time, even maybe as much as one half of the world's population will die after that time. The world will be under one world government, a one world leader. Religion will be out the window. The world economy will fail. I mean, it's just, it's disaster after disaster after disaster after disaster. 
On the positive side, if you're saved this morning, you won't go through that. Amen? You're not, God's not appointed us to wrath. But on the negative side, if you're not saved, and you know somebody that's not saved, if they don't get saved now during this time, there will be no opportunity for them to get saved when the tribulation starts. They'll believe a lie and go through that time period believing that lie. Awful time. A terrible time. The book of Revelation describes the terror of that time. When we get to where we're at this morning. There is incredible anger in the world before the second coming of Christ. If we think the world is angry now and hostile to God, we've seen nothing yet. Blasphemy, hatred, hostility, it'll be bad. And that takes us to our scripture this morning. In chapter 34, if you have your Bibles open there, notice verse 1. Before God breaks down and tells us what happens to that tail end of the tribulation, and we get into the millennium, God calls upon every person to hear the message. He said in verse 1, Come near, ye nations, to hear and to hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it, It's as if God was saying, this is your last opportunity. I want all the people of the world there. It doesn't matter what corner of the earth you live in. It doesn't matter what country you're from, what continent you're in. It doesn't matter what language you're in, you speak. It doesn't matter whether whether the gospel's ever gotten there. He says, the gospel will get there through this message. He said in chapter 34, verse 1, everyone needs to listen. And I want you to notice three things this morning about this message. Three things this morning that speaks to every person. Number one, notice in chapter 34, God has a message for those who are sentenced. Those who are sentenced. The word sentence means those who are under the judgment of God, condemnation is upon them. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word perish tells us that when we are born in this world, we're born with the sin nature. For by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So then death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We entered this world with a sin nature. And because of that sin nature, the sentence of condemnation is on us already. We are sentenced in the tribulation time. Every single person who goes to that tribulation period and and rejects the gospel and does not trust Jesus Christ as Savior, they are sentenced. They're under the doom of condemnation before God. I want you to see some things about the sentence here. Notice first of all, verses 2 to 7. We see the battle. The battle of Armageddon is the last great battle on planet Earth. It's the most horrendous battle. It's the worst battle. The Bible says in verse 2 here, For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. This battle is such an awesome battle. It is such an awesome confrontation. 
It is not limited just to this passage of Scripture. We find it mentioned in Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against these nations as when he fought in the day of battle. It is such an awesome battle. Revelation 16 speaks about it. Revelation 16, the Bible says this, that God will send forth these demonic entities, these three unclean spirits. It'll cover all the world. These unclean spirits will take control of kings and rulers and people of authority. And all of them will conspire together to go to battle against our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can imagine this, all the kings of the earth, all the presidents, all the prime ministers, all the heads of state, they are filled with hostility and anger. They want to go to fight against God. They want to do battle against him. And so we read here about this battle, this battle where they will assemble at a place called Megiddo. Megiddo is also known as Armageddon. Megiddo was the place of the Valley of Estrelon. Estrelon was a place known for its famous battles there. There, Barak fought the Canaanites and defeated them. There, Gideon fought the Midianites and defeated them. There, Saul fought with the, with the Philistines, and there, Saul was defeated. In verse 8, we're told why this battle will occur. The Bible says in verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. Please understand us this morning, brother and sister in Christ and friends who are watching. God's patience is over. Somewhere in that last three and a half year period of the Great Tribulation, God's long-suffering, God's desire for people to be saved will come to a culmination and end. You see, right now, we're living in an age of grace, a time where God, with loving arms, extends his arms to every sinner to get saved. The Bible says God, it's God's will that every sinner gets saved. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 4, for God who will, he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter 3, 3, 9, he says, for God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. And that should cheer our hearts that we're in the space of grace right now, this closing space of grace where God extends the invitation for every lost person to come to him. But there's a point in time during that tribulation period where that space of grace is over and the, the invitation is closed. And as he closed that invitation, there's no more time to be saved. There's no more time to come to Jesus Christ. The judgment of God is coming upon planet Earth. And he describes in verse 2, the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. You think about all the vast armies of the world. Our military might is a nation. Iran, China, India, the northern African nations. Saudi Arabia, the Arabic nations, Iraq, the European nations. There's a lot of military might there. When we get to that tail end of that tribulation period, those demonic entities that Revelation 16 speaks about will inspire these individuals to come together. They'll coalesce. And together on a united front, they're going to gather there to Megiddo, thinking they're going to defeat our Lord Jesus Christ. They're there to do battle with him. It gives light to Psalm chapter 2. 
Because Psalms chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm, is also a, a prophetical psalm that tells us about the, the battle of Armageddon. He says this in Psalms chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But I remind you this morning, the nations of this earth and all the nuclear armament they have and all the ingenuity they have is not enough to do battle with our God because this is what the Bible says in Psalms 2.4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. We see a battle. We see the bloodshed. Notice as we read verses 2 through 7 and 8, we see intense bloodshed on planet earth. The Bible describes it this way. As God goes out to do, deal with them, he says in verse 2, he utterly destroys them. He says in verse 2, he shall deliver them to the slaughter. Then notice verse 3. The mountains shall be melted with their blood. He says the host of heaven shall be dissolved and all the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. Many believe that phrase that the heavens rolled together as a scroll is describing something similar to a major nuclear blast that just turns everything upside down and sends everything back. It says their host shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine. The Bible says in verse 5, it speaks about the sword of the Lord, which is his word. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven and come upon this people of my curse to judgment. It says in verse 6, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with the fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of kidneys and rams. It says in verse 7, their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust shall be, with, be fat with fatness. There'll be bloodshed, vast bloodshed. In fact, we know this from, the, from Revelation. Revelation 14.20 tells us that the bloodshed will be up to the horse's bridle, which is about six feet in height. The spread of that will be as much as 1,600 furlongs or 182 miles, if you can imagine that. 182 miles, just to give us some idea of that, is from here down to Bakersfield on Highway 5. What a distance. He describes it this way in verse 3. Their slain also should be cast out. <coughs> And their stinks shall come up out of their carcasses. The planet will be littered, literally, that valley Megiddo, littered, literally, with the bodies of kings, princes, presidents, everyone who came out to do battle with our Lord. There's a battle. There's bloodshed. Notice verses 9 and 10. There's burning. There's burning. In verse 9, it says, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch. The word for pitch has the idea of something like a darkened, um, tar-like substance. The Bible says about Noah that he used pitch to seal the cracks on the ark. Uh, there's a word for pitch that is translated to similar as the word atonement because of its color. But pitch here has this description of a, a dark, flammable, a uh, tar-like substance. The streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day, and the smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation shall lie waste. None shall pass to it forever and ever. Well, there's two applications to this. Application number one is the battle will be so intense 
Those kings of the earth and their foolishness are going to be shooting up nuclear missiles thinking they're going to destroy our Lord Jesus Christ, and they won't. They wind up scorching planet earth, defeating planet earth. They burn it. They cause climate change and all these other things that are going wrong. There'll be great fire things. I mean, there'll be great devastation on the earth, but there's a second application. Application number one, it speaks about the destruction on the earth, but application number two, if you look at verse 10 very closely, it describes to us what have the eternal destiny of every one of those, those kings, every one of those people in that army on those front lines who are trying to fight with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 10 is a vivid description of eternity in hell. In hell, the Bible says that there, it's burning. In hell, it shall not be quenched night or day. In hell, the smoke thereof shall go up forever. In hell, the Bible says, it's from generation to generation it will lie west. But notice the last phrase. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Listen this morning. Hell is such a terrible place. A person will spend eternity there in total, complete torment. Like they're burning but not consumed. There is no annihilation in hell. Hell is a place of darkness and wailing, of crying out. It is a place where the fire burns forever and forever. And the Bible says this, that there's such a great gulf between hell and heaven. None shall pass from hell to heaven. Listen, if you died this morning without your sins forgiven, without trusting in the mercies of Jesus Christ, in hell you'll have cognizance that you had an opportunity, but it's too late. It's too late at that time to, to reach out to loved ones who've gone ahead of you and are in heaven. It's too late to reach out to them. It's too late to get saved. None shall pass from there to there. Oh, my friend, listen today. The sentenced. There's a battle raging now, and it's not a battle of nations against God. The battle is going on in the hearts of men right now. If you're a Christian this morning, and you're, you can't decide, you're halting between two opinions. There's a battle in your heart between obedience and disobedience, about walking the light and not walking the light, whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord or if he's not Lord. I'm saying this morning, there's a battle going on in heart. There's a battle going on right now for those who've heard the gospel. God wants you to be saved. God loves you. God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God wants you to be saved. God doesn't want anybody to perish and spend eternity in hell. But there's a battle going on. If you're resisting and putting it off, that battle's not God. The battle's in your heart. Satan is telling you, stay hard, withdraw. This is not the time. Procrastinate, put off another time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time to get saved. There's a battle going on. There's the bloodshed. There's the burning. Notice in the remainder of the chapter, we see the bleakness. In chapter 34, he describes the condition of earth right before Jesus comes. Everything's desolate. Beautiful landscapes are destroyed. Forests are made barren. Lakes and streams and rivers and seas and oceans polluted. Radioactive waste everywhere. The 
earth is scorched. What used to be green, everything's desert. Nothing can grow there. The, world, the, the soil has got toxic pollutions in it. The air is toxic. Everybody's talking about this is what's going to happen. It will happen. The Bible describes it's going to happen. He said in verse 12, they shall call the nobles there up to the kingdom, but none shall be there and all the princes shall be nothing. Listen, the earth will be at a place where there are no leaders. There's the sentence. Number two, I want you to consider with me the summons. We read chapter 34, it gives colorfulness to what the Bible says in Psalms 9, 17. In Psalms 9, 17, it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. That's what's going to happen here. And we look at, if we go to the remainder of chapter 34, this is not a new message God has given. It's a repeated message. It's a message where God has used prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and John the Baptist, prophets of God who had the message of the Lord, men who stood against the tide of the times, men who boldly proclaimed God's word. And as God has given us a description here in chapter 34 that is bleak, where there's bloodshed and there's burning and destruction and carnage. And later on, we'll see this tonight, the, the vultures of the air and the eagles of the all the birds of prey will feast on all the flesh of those kings and consume it. God is saying to us, but there's one more opportunity. There's one more chance. If you're somewhat doubtful about all this and you're somewhat skeptical about prophecy, and, uh, but maybe today God has kind of pricked your conscience and whetted your appetite and caused an alert to say, maybe this is true. He gives us a summons. Notice verse 16 of chapter 34. The summons is this. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. If by any chance this morning I've got your attention, if by any chance God is speaking to you, and I pray he is, but there's still some sense of doubt and confusion, and you're not really sure you want to respond, God gives us a summons this morning. And in that summons, he says, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. He said, listen, if you won't believe the preacher, if you won't listen to the prophets, would you do yourself a favor? Would you at least get the Bible out yourself? And read it. Would you seek out the book of the Lord and read? Read it for yourself. Find out for yourself what the Word of God has to say about that matter. You say, why do I need to go to the Bible? Isn't the newspaper good enough? Nope. You want facts? Go to the Word of God. Amen? You want truth? Go to the Word of God. The Word of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Seek out the book of the Lord and read. We read our Bible, we read of many situations where kings and men of authority and people were perplexed, they weren't sure what to do. When they got their answer, they got it because they went to the book of the Lord and they read. And you might be somebody out there this morning, you're trying to find God's will, you're asking for opinions, you're polling everybody. Here's what my advice is for you this morning. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. You're trying to find God's will for your life? Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. You want to be a better Christian? Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Listen, we can solve a lot of our problems if we just get to the book of the Lord and read. Ronald Reagan, our former president, said this, Within the covers of the Bible, the answers for all the problems men face. Dwight L. Moody said the object of the Bible is not to tell how good men are, but how bad men can become good. John Favell, great commentator of the Word of God, said this, The Scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most comfortable way of dying. Though the covers are worn, the pages are torn. And though places bear traces of tears, more precious than gold is this book, worn and old, that can shatter and scatter my fears. This old book is my guide. It will cling to my side. It will lighten and brighten my way. And every promise I find, Susan Glad is my mind as I read it and heed it each day. To this book I will cling of its worth I will sing, though great losses and crosses I bear. For I cannot despair, though surrounded with care, while I possess this blessing divine. My friend, this morning, it's not rocket scientists. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Find the promises of God true for your life. Find the commandments of Lot, the commandments of God cleansing for your soul. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Get a reading program of daily reading the Word of God. Get the freshness of God's Word in your life. Get it every morning. Let it be manna to your soul. Let it be angel's food from heaven that fills your soul up with the things of God. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Finally, this morning, we see the sentenced. We see the summons, but I want to end on a positive and good note to you this morning. Look at chapter 35. <clears throat> Yes, we see the sentenced, and yes, we see the summons, but thank God this morning, chapter 35, we see the saved. We see the saved. We see those who are saved. What do, you, what do you have to look forward to? Listen, if you're saved, you don't have to look forward to judgment. Thank God your sins were judged on the cross when Jesus died for you. Amen? So if you're saved, it's not judgment, it's not hell. It's heaven you look forward to. It's Jesus you look forward to. In chapter 35, we get, a, we get an understanding, a glimpse of both the millennium and heaven, of eternity for you and I, the future. You see, if you're saved, that's the best place to be in life. If you're saved, your sins are under the blood. When you're saved, you're forgiven. When you're saved, you're a child of God. 
When you're saved, heaven's your home. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Acts 16, 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And listen, being saved is a position. Being saved is a possession. If there's anything you need to have this morning, you need to be saved. So notice this morning as we close, look what a saved person looks forward to. Notice with me what a saved person looks forward to. First of all, chapter 35, verses 1 and 2, there's the happiness of the saved. He says, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice. The desert shall blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. You know what he's saying there? He's saying a saved person has God's joy in their heart. A saved person has happiness. Their burdens are not carrying them down. They're lifted up by Jesus Christ. They've cast their burdens upon the Lord, and they've learned that God will sustain them. There's happiness for a saved person. He says this here. He says, the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord. Let me tell you this morning, if you're filled with sadness, you're filled with sorrow, you feel like you don't have any joy, you feel like everything got squeezed out of you, let me tell you this morning, you can have the happiness of the Lord in your heart today. You can be happy because there's the happiness of the saved. It's not a conjectured happiness. It's not a worked up happiness. It's a happiness that comes from within. Jesus said, these things I've written unto you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. If your joy tank is empty, you need to come back to the living word, Jesus Christ, and get your joy back in your life. There's a happiness to save. But notice, secondly, what you notice, there's help for the saved. There's help for the saved. Not about you, I need a lot of help, amen? So do you. We need a lot of help. He said in verse 3, Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. In verse 4, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with the recompense, and he will come and save you. Now there's help for the saved. The first thing I want you to understand this morning, we get weak. Sickness makes us weak. Bad news makes us weak. Having a toxic job environment makes us weak. Amen? Being around negative things makes us weak. Getting older makes us weak. He says here, strengthen the weak hands. Let me tell you this morning, hands in the Bible is symbolic of serving the Lord. You can get weak even serving God. You can emphasize so much serving God that you neglect your spiritual life and your hands get weak. Your service is not effectual. You're going through the motions, but there's no product. You're going through the motions, but nothing's happening. Nobody's getting a blessing. Nobody's being helped. Listen, if you want to be helped to other people, you've got to have the help of the Lord upon your life. Strengthen ye the weak hands. He says, confirm the feeble knees. I'm thankful the King James translators used the word confirm to, to emphasize weakened knees. You get older, your knees get weak. It doesn't matter how much exercise you do, they just get weak. It's part of aging. It's harder to walk. It's harder to walk upstairs. It's harder to kneel. 
And for some Christians who spend their time on their knees before God, they start to realize it's a little bit harder to get up, a little harder to get down. Once they're there in that position, it's fine, but they find their knees are weak. They find over time that praying doesn't get any easier. Praying becomes more intense and more laborious. It doesn't get harder. It just gets more laborious. But there's, strength for the, but there's help for the saved because God strengthens our hands so we can serve. Hey, listen, I'm looking forward to when we can get back to anywhere near where we used to be. If in-person service things, we can get back to serving God. Amen. I'm looking forward to the time we can get back and having all-night all church prayer meetings and times like that. But I'm telling you this morning, for those things to happen, we need God to strengthen us. We need God to undergird us. Listen, this morning, if you're at a place where your morale is down and you are discouraged, there is help for the saved today. Verse 4, he talks about our fears. And I'm going to tell you, you come face to face with death. You come face to face, there's no answer. They say there's nothing else we can do. There's a lot of fear. But the Bible says, say to them, they're of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. You might be discouraged this morning because of how things are unfolding in our world. But the Bible tells us here in verse 4, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. I remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, the next great event on God's prophetic calendar is to rapture the church. Jesus Christ is the blessed hope, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appear of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, your God and my God will come and save you. He's a God who's real. He's a God who comes in person, who's a God who died for your sins and rose here for the dead. He's God who's king for you and I. There's the happiness of the saved. There's the help of the saved. Notice very quickly, notice verses 5 to 7, there's the healing for the saved. Now, I'm not talking about charismatic healing. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm not talking about Benny Hinn type of healing. What he's saying here, he says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame man shall leap as a heart or as a deer, the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out in streams of the devil. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the moment you get saved. There's a transformation that goes on. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what happens when you get saved? You're no longer spiritually blind. You can see. You don't have to get saved, you're no longer spiritually deaf, you can hear. You don't have to get saved, you're no longer spiritually dumb, you can speak. You know when you get saved, you're no longer spiritually lame, you can walk and leap and praise God. Hey, thank God today, there's a change that goes on in your life when Jesus Christ is your Savior. All of that represents this. Your life, which is dry and barren and like a wilderness, like a desert, shall become, as he says here, water shall break out and you'll have streams in the desert. Streams in the desert are impossible. You cannot have rivers flowing through a desert unless there's a torrential rain. He's talking about here, eternal streams flowing forever. You know what he's talking about? Jesus Christ, the water of life, being a stream of water flowing in your life, giving you rejoicing and encouragement and help every day. He waters our soul with the things of God. Listen, this morning, it doesn't get any better than that. You're hurting, you're broken. Let me tell you this morning, there's healing for your soul today. But there's something else very quickly. There's a the happiness of the saved and there's the, 
There's the help for the saved, and there's the healing of the saved. But notice verse 8, there's a highway for the saved. And a highway shall be there in a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. That way is Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he spoke about a highway. He spoke about the place where a man must not go the broad way, but a narrow way which leads to heaven. That narrow way is him. Because Jesus saith unto him, for I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Listen, this morning, thank God there is a highway. We, we drive highways and interstates to get from destination point A to point B, and we're thankful for those highways. But listen, there's only one highway to heaven. There's only one highway to God, and that highway is Jesus Christ. It's a highway of holiness. There's a way. Listen, there's no other way to heaven. Listen, Buddhism's not the way, and Islam's not the way, and all these other things are not the way. There's only one way to heaven. That's through God's Son, Jesus Christ. But when you're on that highway, notice what he says in verse 8. It's not for, he says, the unclean shall not pass over it. If you're trying to get there on your own merits and good works, it won't get you there. It shall be for those wayfaring men. That's you and me. Sometimes we're walking blindly. Sometimes we feel like we're walking in the dark. He calls us wayfaring men. He says, though fools, they shall not err therein. Listen, thank God there's a highway to heaven. That highway is Jesus Christ. Listen today, there, there, it's a short distance for you right now. If you just would receive Jesus Christ, your Savior, you repent of your sins and call on Christ to save you, you're on that highway to heaven right now. Finally, here's the best part. Here's the best part. There's happiness for the saved. There's help for the saved. There's healing for the saved. There's a highway for the saved. There's heaven for the saved. Verses 9 and 10 describe heaven. You see, in the millennium, streams, there'll be streams in the desert. And the wilderness will break forth with waters. There'll be no infirmities during the millennium. But the millennium is Christ's reign on earth. But the culmination of all that the end of the millennium, God will destroy this planet. The heavens and earth shall melt away. That's called the day of God. And God will bring in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what's described in verse 9 and 10. Heaven's the home of the saved. If you know Christ, your Savior, you're got, you've got a straight shot to heaven. If you don't know Christ as Savior, there's time today. You can be saved. You can trust Jesus Christ today as your Savior and know that you have, you're on that highway and heaven's your own. Look what he says there. He says, no lion shall be there. Thank God the devil's not going to be there, amen? The devil will be in that lake of fire. There's no lion there. Listen, there's no ravenous beast there. There's no one to deceive your faith. There's no false teachers there. There's no false cults and false religions there. It's only Jesus Christ that's going to be there. In heaven, he says in verse 9, the redeemed shall walk there. In verse 10, he says, the ransom of the Lord shall return. Hey, I like those words. Redeemed means we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross was the payment price for your sin and mine. And when he shed his blood and he said it is finished, he satisfied all of God's righteous demands for sin. Listen this morning. Your sins are paid in full. There's nothing you need to do to accomplish salvation. It's been purchased for you already through the blood of Christ. 
He uses the word ransom. You were kidnapped by Satan. You were Satan's slave, but now you're the child of God. He says, the ransomed of the Lord shall return. Zion is a word that's used to symbolize or typologies about heaven. He says, and we'll come to heaven and Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon our heads. And here's the best part. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And look at this. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. There are no more tears in heaven. There's no more sorrow in heaven. There's no more hurting in heaven. There's no more heart attacks in heaven. There's no more, praise God, no more high cholesterol in heaven, amen? No more heart attacks in heaven. No more strokes in heaven. No more cancer in heaven. No more MS in heaven. None of these things. Listen, all that's there. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away, the Bible says. It'll be gone. And why? Because in heaven is a place of perfection. In heaven will be just like God. This mortal will put on immortal. This corruptible shall put on incorruptible. You will receive your inheritance in Jesus Christ. The greatest thing every saved person looks forward to when they leave this life is spending all of eternity in heaven with our Lord. What a wonderful place. A great anticipation. If Jesus came right now, we'd, those who were saved would all be raptured and all these cars would be left behind. Amen? These buildings would be left behind. Whatever we thought were treasures on this earth would be left behind. Listen, our greatest treasure is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says you have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of God may be in you. So I close with this this morning. God speaks to the sentenced. You're under judgment. Sin put us in that condition. God gives us a summons. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. And God has hope for the saved. There's happiness for the saved. There's help for the saved. There's healing for the saved. There's a highway for the saved. There's heaven for the saved. This morning, if you're watching my live stream or you're here in this service, you don't have that 100% certainty that heaven's your home. I'm pointing you right now to that highway. I'm beckoning you to let me take you by the hand to that highway. A highway shall be there. And a way, it shall be called the way of holiness. That highway will bring you to heaven. You just have a little bit of faith this morning. Repent of your sins. And call on the Lord right now. You can be saved. Heaven will be your home. And by the way, he talked about the redeemed of the Lord, the ransom. You know what he's talking about there? He's also talking about reunion time in heaven. Being with our loved ones who are saved. Spending all of eternity with them. You know, for most people here, I think of not everyone... You rejoice being with your family. You can't think of being with anybody else except with your family. Those are the closest people on earth to you. But when we say goodbye at death, and that casket gets closed for the last time, there's a pain from that separation that grips us, that terrorizes us. We weep uncontrollably. Sorrow overtakes us. We feel like we're walking darkness. But if you're saved, you have the hope of knowing this that you're going to have a reunion.
that you're going to see those loved ones again. With all my heart this morning, I plead with you, if you're not sure you're saved, if you've never repented of your sins and called on the Lord, do it this morning. Call on Jesus Christ today who loves you and died for you. Accept him by faith today. Be saved this morning. And then today, on the second day of August, you can know that you've been born again. You can point to today that this was your spiritual birthday into the kingdom of God.